Turn your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 1, and as you're turning there, thank you so much for uh, coming to Urban today. Um, a couple of things as you're turning to Romans chapter 1, right after this service, we have our first Sunday ministry, and it takes place right outside those doors, and um, uh, we have a family in the church here um, that has uh, made a lunch for everybody, and so stay, stick around. Uh, what is the first Sunday ministry? If people are in need or you live next to somebody in need, you can go out there and grab anything you see out there for free. But we do have a new system in place that we started uh, last month, and that is got to check in, fill out some information, and then when they call you, uh, you can go through and grab some stuff that you need. But once again, please, uh, you might be sitting here and think, I, I don't need anything, I'm fine. Uh, but if you live next to somebody in need, maybe you know somebody that's in need, grab some stuff and take it with you and bless them. Matter of fact, you can even wrap it up and say it's a gift from you and that you spent a lot of money on them, okay? Um, we got a lot of stuff out there, and uh, so check it out. Um, if you're not in need, uh, you don't know anybody that's in need, um, you need to get out more often. Uh, but not only that, stick around, uh, eat with everybody as we uh, just build some great community together. Also, if this is your very first time here on the outside portion of the program uh, that you received on your way in is a contact card. And if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute between now and the end of the ser- service, just filling that out, dropping it at the information center on your way out, we have a free gift for you. Also, if you have any prayer requests, um, we, we don't just ask you to fill out your prayer requests and then just ignore them. We actually take time every week to pray for them. And so if you have any needs that are represented in your life, uh, make sure you fill that out and drop it at the information uh, center. That'd be awesome. Um, I went hiking yesterday as well, and I was concerned about how I'd feel in the morning when I woke up. Um, I thought I was going to be hurting, but I'm proud to say that I'm not hurting, um, probably thanks to Advil, but that's okay. Uh, you got to do what you got to do, right? And so the round trip hike was 6.7 miles, not, not, not like, you know, you know, anything major, except for I had my five-year-old with me and my daughter who's turning eight uh, this week, and uh, they both did great. Actually, my eight-year-old was d- determined to make it to the top first, which she did, and then she was determined to be the first one back, so literally like the last half mile, um, she takes off sprinting, and I'm like, Cara, what are you doing? And she she literally sprinted. Joe had to sprint to catch up with her and be with her just because she wanted to be the first one. She's just like her mom. It's unbelievable. Um, just kidding. And, uh, and so she was the first one off. But my five-year-old, I was really concerned about her. I didn't think she would actually make it to the top, uh, but she did. And she actually made it uh, to the bottom as well. Um, I thought I might need to give her an incentive to make it to the top. Um, and I probably shouldn't have done this because then I felt bad afterwards. Um, but we're about a half mile into it. And I can tell she's already like, Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I'm tired. And, you know, I just wanted to say, suck it up. You know, you can do this, you know. Um, But instead of doing that, I turned to her and I said, Faith, you know what? She's like, what? I said, there is a big pool at the top of this mountain. Her eyes started getting big. I said, not only that, there's a water slide once you get to the top that takes you all the way to the bottom. And she, I, I felt so bad because she threw her hands. She's only five. She threw her hands there and started jumping up and down going, yay, yay, yay. And then I was like, oh, great. So I was like, Kate, you need to tell her that that's not true. <laughs> um, and so then I had to break the news to her, and I think she was kind of bummed. But uh, once they got to the top, man, beautiful side. It was a lot of fun. And I want to encourage you um, to join us on some of these adventures this summer. Man, we, uh, this is only our second summer. We're only about 16, 17 months old. It's only our second summer. But every summer, I like to do what my family likes to do, and that is it's all about family time, friends. Let's hang out. Let's barbecue. So if you're barbecuing, I'll give you my number. You can invite me over and, uh, and whatnot. But I like to hang out with people and have a good time. And I want to encourage our church to do the same. This is going to be a summer of building relationships and getting to know one another better. And I can guarantee you on that hike yesterday, um, whether you wanted to or not, you got to know some people better because you were with them for 6.7 miles. I'm telling you right now, if you want to get to know some people better, uh, come on the camping trip this next weekend and be stuck with them for three days. You may never want to come back to Urban after that, 
but at least you'll get to know them a little bit better. So uh, I'm excited about this summer. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start our new series entitled When in Rome. Uh, we just finished up our series in the book of Philippians. We had a great time. If you missed any of that, all of that is available on our website, uh, whether it's through the podcast or the live feed. Go and check it out. And all of these will be available as well as we go through it. Romans chapter 1, When in Rome. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, other translations might say this, a bondservant or a slave. And the reason that Paul is addressing them as such is because at the time in Rome, there were about a million people, but the majority of that million people were slaves. Okay, and so he addresses himself as they would receive it, and so he calls himself a servant or a bond slave. This is one that was a slave at one time, but has now been set free, but chooses to stay with his master out of love and admiration. So here we go. Um, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who has ascended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now be last, at last uh, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that, I, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have uh, often intended to come to you, but thus far have been uh, prevented. In order that I may reap uh, some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For verse 16 17, I want to key in on this as we're going to talk about today. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For uh, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly uh, perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, the impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, uh, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, uh, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, um, that God, you would speak to us out of your word. God, we'd be encouraged. God, we'd be challenged. God, we'd be strengthened. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we go through the book of Romans together over the next 10 weeks or so, that uh, God, something new would pop off the pages to us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me just give you a few things real quick as we set up this book, um, as we're going to be talking about it for 10 weeks. And so uh, let me just give you a few things about the book, um, about the writer, and about Rome as well. Okay? Overview and setup. A, uh, the author of this book is indeed Paul. Although if you look uh, in chapter 15, um, there's a guy named uh, Tertius that actually greets you and says, I, Tertius, the one who's writing this gospel, greets you. Um, the reason that is happening is because Paul is the one that is, is giving the words and the scribe is writing them. Okay, so Paul actually didn't pen it. Tertius did. Although Paul is the author, as he begins to speak, the scribe writes. B, uh, it's written to a local church in Rome that was started by new Christian converts rather than by an apostle. Uh, most of the churches that Paul writes to are, are indeed uh, set up by apostles or by himself or by someone he sent. This church, however, in Rome that he's writing to was set up by early church converts, and so he's longing to come to them um, so that he can uh, instill some things in them, also so that he can reap a harvest among them. Uh, the date, A.D. 57, uh, Rome, D, Rome was at the time the center of the known world. Okay, we see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and it says this, all the things that are happening are known around the world. Whatever took place in Rome, everyone knew about it. This is what, another reason why Paul longed to come to them, because he, he believed that if he could establish a greater work in Rome, that the gospel would be furthered, more people would be reached, and more people would be touched, because it was the center of the known world. Uh, a massive city, about a million people. Um, the largest demographic of the city at the time was indeed slaves. Um, and so there were a lot of people that were in bondage. That's once again why Paul sets up the whole entire book the way he does. He writes as a slave to slaves and to other people in Rome. Um, uh, it was a place of economic injustice, and it was a city that was built on war. Um, e. Romans, the book of Romans, is, is known as the theological cornerstone of the New Testament. Okay? In other words, this is a pretty important book. Uh, in other words, this is what all the New Testament is built of. In other words, the things that Paul talks about in here, um, because this book um, has Bible doctrine throughout it. And so Paul, um, when he writes, man, he writes so many things to instruct believers, so many things to instruct the church, and it's, it's doctrinally based, it's sound, it's good, it's stuff we need to hear. And, uh, and so it's known as the theological cornerstone of the New Testament. Mark, Martin Luther said this. He said, the book of Romans is the chief part of the New Testament. People should know it word for word, and it should occupy their minds daily, okay? You and I uh, experience uh, worship and freedom in God the way we do, uh, much in part due to a man named Martin Luther. So if this guy who, who literally paved the way for you and I to experience Christ and experience worship and experience knowing God the way we do, uh, uh, this guy says this, how many of you guys think that maybe uh, there's a little bit of truth to it? Are you with me? Uh, that man, maybe we should give ourselves to the study of the book of Romans. Uh, F, it's a ma uh, the major theme of Romans is righteousness in Christ Jesus. Okay? 
is the major theme of the book throughout, and this is what we're going to platform off of. Romans 1, 16 and 17 are considered to be the key verses of the book of Romans. In other words, these two verses set up the rest of the book, okay? So let's go back. Let's read Romans 1, 16 and 17 again, and then we're going to jump right into uh, today's message found in these, these, these verses here. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In what? In the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith. Let me pray. God, we thank you. God, for your word. Lord, I pray right now, one more time. God, I pray that you'd help me communicate it in a relevant way. In Jesus' name, amen. Why did Paul say, uh, I'm not ashamed? I don't know about you, but um, it, it could have said a lot of different things. It could have said, uh, I'm really bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm really blessed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm really happy about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't say any of those things. It says this. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul uses a negative to set up the message here of what he wants to set up. Now, I don't, how many guys would, would admit that you're a negative person? <laughs> Thank you. You're honest. Okay. Um, there's, some, there's some negative people out there. There's people um, that, that, you know, they look at the glass as half empty rather than half full, right? Um, there's people that wake up in the morning and they see the clouds and they're like, oh, man, it's going to be a cruddy day, man. This is just horrible. Man, it's probably going to rain, you know. Um, and there's other people that look at the clouds and say, man, it's going to burn off and it's going to be a fantastic day, right? Uh, I don't know what it is with negative people, um, but sometimes I just want to do that to them. Are you with me? Okay. Paul, as we know him, if you've read the Bible at all, he's the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He is actually not a negative guy at all. Okay. He has every reason or every right to be um, because he's been through a lot of stuff. We don't have time to talk about it all, but he's been through a lot of stuff. And so when Paul uses a negative to set something up, what he's doing is he's drawing attention to it. Because if he just wrote, you know, I'm bold in the gospel, everybody would be like, yeah, dude, of course you are. You got knocked off a donkey, you know, by the Lord himself on, on, on the road to Damascus. So, of course, you're bold. Okay, and we would just kind of keep reading. But because he sets it up with a negative, I'm not ashamed, it, it, it draws us to ask the question, what is he not ashamed of? Why is he not ashamed? And why is he even saying that in the first place? Okay? And so I want to look at this real quickly where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? If you know anything about Paul, you know that he is literally going on mission journey all over, man, preaching the gospel. Obviously, he's not ashamed. He's writing this to the people in Rome. For two reasons. First, he's writing because of this. There is actually some tension going on in Rome right now between uh, uh, the Gentiles and between the Jews. Between those that are now being saved that aren't of the nation okay, of Israel and those that are of the nation of Israel that know what it means to be saved under the law. Okay? The Jews believe that under the law, and there's nearly 600 laws that they had to adhere to, the Jews believed that if they kept all of these things and did all of these things and, 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 you know, and did this and did that, that they would be saved. Okay? But now the gospel comes along, okay? uh, uh, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it comes along now and it begins to declare this, that you can do nothing to receive salvation, but that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and his grace alone. So there's some tension now that's happening in Rome because the Gentiles, man, they're, they're coming into this new life, but they've done nothing. They didn't do this law, that law, obey this, observe that, you know, follow this, follow that. They didn't do any of that. And so the Jews were saying, wait a second. We do this and this is salvation, but you're saying they're saved too. So Paul now, who knew what it was to walk under the law, 
Okay? Paul now comes along and says, guys, don't be ashamed. Guys, don't be embarrassed that for so long you've been doing all these things thinking that it's the way to salvation. Okay? Don't be ashamed that now that you've done all of this thinking that this is the way and that's the way. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have done something before only to uh, come around later and find out that's really not the way to do it? You think of anything, you know what I mean? I, uh, I, um, I, I had a trainer one time, uh, I, actually, I know you, you, you probably can't tell, um, but I had, a, I had an athletic trainer one time and, and, uh, back in Vegas, and he showed me the proper way to lift, the proper way to eat and all this stuff, and I, 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 I actually was working out before I got the trainer, okay? But we go into the gym, and when you go into the gym and you see people that are working out, and a lot of times you see people like doing the curls, and they're going like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's like you are working out every muscle in your body except for the one you need to be working out, right? They're just, you know, like, you know, look at me. I mean, they're sweating, you know, and they're probably throwing their back out, you know, and they're, you know. Uh, and then they go to the bench press, and they're like, you know. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all been to the, okay, has anybody ever been to the gym? Okay, because this, this analogy isn't going to work unless you've actually been to the gym or at least, you know, maybe watch TV, okay? Um, and so they're doing this, you know, and, uh, and my trainer just, you know, he goes, you know, actually that guy, and, and some people actually that are doing that, they're actually pretty ribbed. I don't know if it's due to the workout or the juice, but anyway, praise Jesus. And, uh, and so they're working out, you know, my trainer's like, dude, that's not, you know, and so he taught me proper technique, all right? And, you know, rather than being able to do, you know, like whatever I do, you know, 5,000 pounds, okay? Um, he's like, dude, let's drop down to like 10 pounds and let me show you proper form, right? And man, when I'm done, I'm just hurting, I'm sore. Why is that? Because they came along and showed me the proper way, okay? Now, um, I don't know about you, but I know that some of those people, when they're in there doing this, and they finally get the trainer, and you come in the next week, and they're like, they don't want to show their face. You know why? Because they're ashamed. (laughs) They're embarrassed, okay? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, guys, look, don't be ashamed, all right? I know you thought this was the way, and, and you did good, but Jesus Christ came on to fulfill the law, to fulfill all righteousness, and because of what he did on the cross, guess what? Now you have true freedom, okay? And so this is what he's saying. The second thing he's saying is this. It actually addresses um, uh, the believers in Rome. And it's saying this. Guys, don't be ashamed to share your faith. Don't be ashamed to share what God has done in you. Don't be ashamed to go out now and share it with others. Uh, Okay? And and what I I guess maybe more than ashamed, maybe uh, 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 insecure, embarrassed. Man, how many of you guys would say, you're here today and you'd say, man, God's been good to me and I've experienced a new freedom in him, okay? And I might be the only one raising my hand, but okay? That's why I'm not ashamed to stand up here and, and t- I know what it's like to walk in the freedom that God's given me. I know what it's like to be out from underneath the judgment of man and trying to perform. Uh, man, performance mentality stinks, you know? I, I know what it's like to be under that, but I know what it's like to fully understand, or at least at this point in my life, to understand the grace of God, all that I don't understand at all, and to grasp that and to say, wow, I am truly free. I want to share this freedom with others. But sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do in the world, okay? You have those people that, man, just because of the way they're made up and who they are, they have no problem. They can meet anybody and within 30 seconds and share their whole entire life story with them and, and have them, you know, asking Jesus into their heart. Okay, you have, does anybody know somebody like that, you know? It's just boom, boom, there it is, and it's like, wow, okay? And they're just bold in it, and there's no problem with it. You have the other people that, that, that um, they're a little bit timid, and they kind of hang out, and they'll go out in groups and do it, right? And I'll, I'll go if you're going, okay? What are we doing? We're going out, and we, oh, who's all going, you know? 
Is there any cute girls going? <laughs> Are there any good-looking guys going, you know? Um, you know, and so we find out who's going, and we'll go in the group, okay? But it's funny to watch group witnessing. Because <laughs> group witnessing is funny is because it's like if you go out in a group, it's like they all follow the one leader. You know what I'm talking about? And, and they all follow, and they'll find one person, and all 15 of them will surround one person. <laughs> and that person's going to do whatever you want them to do just so you leave them alone. You know what I'm talking about? But it's so funny. You watch these groups, and they go out, and they kind of follow around, and, and then they all surround the guy, and the dude's like, okay. <laughs> you know? And you just, you know, you get him to say a prayer, and he just says it, so you leave him alone. There's the group, all right? But you also always have the one person that doesn't necessarily go with a group, that really isn't a great evangelist at all, but they're just weird. Okay? Your, your mind's starting to work. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about, Okay? There's just the weird guy, okay? Now, the only, the only way that I can kind of, kind of, kind of re, uh, like get an analogy with is dancing, okay? How many of you guys uh, think you're a phenomenal dancer? There's only like, okay? There's like four of you that think you're phenomenal, five. And that think you're, how many of you guys, um, you're not a phenomenal dancer, but you've gone dancing before? Okay. All right. See, okay. Now, here's the thing. Remember back, even if you're a phenomenal dancer, remember back to the first time you ever went dancing, Thank you, okay? Okay? It would be like Paul saying this, hey guys, don't be ashamed to go dancing. (laughs) Don't be ashamed to dance, okay? Y'all remember that fear when you walk in and there's the one guy that's just out there and he's he's just showing off, phenomenal dancer, right? Okay? And then you got the weird person out there that just has no shame, has the tie tied around their head, you know what I'm talking about? And they're just like, ooh, you find them at at, at weddings all the time, (laughs) they crash weddings and, and whatnot. Okay. You also, here's, here's another one, you also have the people um, that, um, that get a little liquid courage in them before they go out on the dance floor, okay? Y'all know what I mean, right? <laughs> they get the liquid courage in them, and then they go out, they're, they're fine, they've loosened up. But then you also, have, you also have the group that goes out and dancing, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it either turns into like this little mosh pit that just people are like this, Okay, and then they realize how dumb that is, and so they invented country line dancing so that they can all go, <laughs> and I, you know, what is that? That's for people that don't really know how to dance, right? And they can hang out in the group, and they can look bad together, all right? Let's just be honest, all right? I mean, if you really want to, if you can really dance, you'll go like salsa dancing or something, right? Okay, you know, which I haven't done, <laughs> okay? You have, the, you have those people, okay? And I, I don't know about you, but I've been to a few dances in my, in my lifetime, although I don't think I ever quite made it to the dance floor, because I'll just be honest with you, I'm a horrible dancer. I know you would have never guessed. You would think, wow, that guy probably knows how to dance. I don't, okay? And, uh, and, and you know, I end up being the little wallflower that hangs out on the wall, right? And just kind of, you know, and so maybe I'll try country line dancing, I don't know, and go with the group, right? Uh, but, you know, you just kinda, you're just kind of hanging out there watching everybody, you know, okay? Why? Because I'm embarrassed to get on the dance floor, Okay? The same thing happens when it comes to sharing our faith. For some reason, there's, 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 there's an embarrassment. You know, you have the opportunity. Okay, think about it this way. Someone at work is going through a crisis. Something happened. And you know that you should probably at this point, because they're not a Christ follower. They have no one to lean on. They have no, no one to bring them comfort. They're in pain. They're, they're dealing with the loss of a loved one, let's say. And there's something going on. And you know that you could come over and just say, hey, would you mind if I pray with you? Because I know someone that can comfort you. Okay? But, but too often times, we don't want to cross that, that, that barrier, that line, because how are they going to perceive it? Um, what about this? What about that? What is that? that? That's a little bit of, I don't know, I'm embarrassed, okay? 
But Paul is saying this, look guys, if you've experienced the grace of God in your life, don't be ashamed, okay? Because here's the reality, okay? Whether you want to admit it or not, even if you're a horrible dancer, um, you've never been on a dance floor, you all know that when you're in the bedroom by yourself, you are the best dancer in the world. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, every one of us sitting here at some point has danced in their bedroom by themselves, okay? I don't care if you admit it or not. It's the absolute truth. And then, you know, and you're just like, wow, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, elbows at 90 degrees, you know, but I watched, I watched Hitch, you with me, okay? And so, you know, I, I know what I'm doing, you know what I mean, you know? And so, uh, okay, and you've all done that, whether it be, you know, lock the bathroom door, you're in front of the mirror, you know, whatever. And then when you come out, though, you're just like, you know, no, I don't dance, you know, okay? The same thing is true, man. You've experienced the grace of God, and it's on the inside. And wow, God is so good to me, and I've been free. But you need to come out, and you need to share with people. Do not be ashamed of what God has done in your life, okay? Are you with me? Let's look at some central points here real quick uh, of of, of verses 16 and 17. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. Number one, um, essential point of this passage is this. There's power in the gospel. There's power in the gospel. Do not be ashamed. Why? Because there's power. Do not be ashamed. Not only is there power in it, but all by itself, all alone, it is powerful. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God. What is the power unto? Unto salvation. Okay? What is the power? The power is for salvation. This presupposes the idea that, that uh, you and I and everybody else has a problem. And this sometimes is where it can cause some embarrassment to bring to other people. Because the gospel, in order for it to have effect, it presupposes the idea that, you know what? You, you have an issue. <laughs> I have an issue. And that issue is so big that you need to be saved from it. Oh, and by the way, you can't save yourself from it. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but no one likes it when you come up to them and say, dude, you got an issue. Right? What's your first response? Oh, yeah? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you looked at that thing you call a face on your neck? Because, right? You, maybe it's not that, but you come up with some, oh, I'm not the one with the problem. You got the problem for thinking I have a problem. Right? No one likes to receive, oh, man, you're so right. I'm such a horrible person. Thank you for noticing. I've just been waiting all my life for someone to notice how horrible I am. You're the first. What do I need to do, okay? That's, that's not everybody's first response. It's always like this. Well, But see, the gospel comes and says, you have a problem. It's like this. It's like telling somebody, you know, uh, you know it's one thing to tell somebody, hey, you got something right there. Right there. And they're just like, oh, thanks. And they can brush it away. Okay? It's another thing to tell that to an armless person. Hey, you got something right there. Oh, I do? Okay. Are you with me? Okay. They can't do anything about it. They need help. Okay? The gospel approaches you and says, look, man, you've got got an issue. You've got a problem, and, and, and you need help with it. And I can't help you. You can't help yourself. You need Jesus. Okay? You need Jesus. There was a book written not too long ago. Actually, it was a little while ago now, uh, 30, 30 years ago maybe. And, and, and the, the title of the book was this, I'm okay, you're okay. I don't know if anybody's ever read it. <laughs> I'm okay, you're okay. 
The whole basis of this book is this. That if I believe that I'm okay, and I believe you're okay, then everything is going to be okay. Yeah, that's the premise of the whole book. But if I begin to think even for a moment that I'm not okay, then I begin to immediately reflect that on the fact that you're not okay, and then things really aren't okay. All right? So the book takes it to this level of saying, so let's focus on believing that you're okay, they're okay, and then everything will be okay. There's a problem with that, okay? Because <laughs> the gospel comes along and says this, you're not okay. <laughs> you're not as cool as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. You're not as okay as you think you are. The gospel in its nature is controversial. It's countercultural. Even back then in Rome, Paul understood this. Why? Because the, the basic premise of people in Rome was, we're good people. We're okay. Things haven't changed too much, have they? All of us would like to be sitting in this room thinking, you know, that church is good. I don't really need it. I'll come, though. <laughs> I mean, the Bible's good stuff, but I'm a pretty cool person. Matter of fact, I mean, if Christianity is real, God would be blessed to have me on his team. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I've lived some life, you know. Okay. I mean, let's just face it. The, 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 humanity likes to believe that they're just Okay. No matter what culture, no matter what age, no matter what age, I'm, I'm okay. So when the gospel comes now, and that's another reason why Paul said, hey, you know what, don't be ashamed to share this. When the gospel comes, the gospel comes now and says, guys, as good as you think you are, you're not okay. Okay? And here's what we need to understand, that you and I and everybody else needs to go through the pain barrier of the fact that we are not okay, that we can't do it on our own, that we really do need somebody else, and that somebody else is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? We need to go through that pain barrier in order for the gospel really to have effect in our lives. Because the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the gospel is veiled to those that are perishing. I don't see the need for it. If you're sitting here today and you don't see the need for it, the Bible says you're perishing. Wow. But all of a sudden I come to the understanding that, wow, I need it. It's veiled to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Wow. It's life. It's life. And we need to go through that barrier and say, wow, I really do need more. I really do need him. I really do need his grace. The power in the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I need saving. You need saving. We all need to be saved. Number two, the content of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. For in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God. What's the content of the gospel? It's the righteousness of God. It's not the righteousness of us, it's not our plan. It's the plan of God, and it's the righteousness of God. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. This gives the gospel power. Romans 3.23, man, we, we, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. I need a Savior. Who is that? It's Jesus. Here's the thing with, with really anybody in culture. We look for justification. We look to be right. We, we, we want that. Even, even if we're not a Christian, man, today was a lousy day but at least I get to go home with my family. You with me? That, 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 makes it, that makes it okay now. Well, I mean, man, I really don't like my job, but at least I get a paycheck. 
Man, you know what? Life isn't going that well, but at least I have. Everybody looks for that in culture. Okay? You know what we can look at today? We can look at the fact that we have Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we have his righteousness. Let me talk to you real quickly about righteousness, and we'll be done. When we look at Romans and we see the theme of righteousness, which is the overall theme of the book, this is the way that most believers view righteousness, and this is even the way that most people that aren't yet Christ followers view righteousness. We view righteousness as if the slate has been wiped clean. In other words, we see it like this, that, 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 that let's just say I committed a crime, okay? Maybe we shouldn't use me as an example. Let's say Andre committed a crime, okay? <laughs> let's say Andre went and robbed a bank, all right? Andre goes and robs the bank. He's walking out of the bank, and, and he's got bundles of money, and all of a sudden he gets caught, okay? Andre now is going to have to pay the price for that. Andre now, he goes to prison for whatever time he goes, okay? Let's say they found out that he robbed like seven other banks as well, so he's in there for a long time. Gosh. So Andre's in prison. He does his time. Let's say 10 years. He does his time. He gets out. The, 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 uh, the judicial system looks at it as he is a free man. The slate has been wiped clean, Okay? He has now served his time that's no longer held against him. He can never go back to prison for those crimes. He doesn't have the money, but hey, he's done the time. He's a free man. You're good to go. Okay? The only problem with that is this. As we walk out, and everybody that was our friend before knows what we did. Dude, was it worth it? <laughs> okay? Knows what we did. Not only does everybody know what we did, they, they quickly remind us what we did. Dude, are you ever going to be able to get a bank account anywhere? I mean, honestly, do you need to take one out in my name, you know? Okay. And then now he's reminded of what he did, so now he's always thinking about, man, am I ever going to be able to get a bank account? What did I do? Okay. Too many of us view righteousness like that. Too many of us see that God came and, wow, he forgave me of my sin. Man, I looked at that stuff on the internet, and man, I, would, I looked at pornography for X amount of years, or, or, or man, I messed up in my relationship with my wife, or man, I really blew it here, or man, I sinned against God, or I did this, or I did that, and, and then I come to God, and, and he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins, and we view righteousness as, okay, he took that sin away, and here I am, and everybody knows, and I know, and wow. That's not righteousness, or at least that's not the full package of righteousness. The full package of righteousness, you read on in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, it pushes the thought on to, to, to say this. That he not only comes and wipes the slate clean. How many of you guys have ever seen a dry erase board before? Good. You're like, what are those? I use a computer. Okay. Uh, dry erase boards still serve a purpose, all right? My daughters have one in the room, okay? And you've drawn a picture on the dry erase board. And as you're drawing, and my daughter's doing this the other day, and they're drawing, and, and then they continue drawing, they're like, oh, no, I messed up. Man, gosh, I'll just start up over here. And they start to draw something over on this side of the dry erase board. And they're like, oh, man, I messed up. Okay. Well, what do you do? You take the dry erase thing, and you erase it. And they get a clean slate. And then what do they do? They take the pin and they start to draw again. And like, oh, here's the sunshine, the house, the chimney, you know, the little dog. Oh, we have 17 dogs now. And, you know, they're drawing the picture. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, oh, I messed up. I messed up. Okay. Oh, Jesus will forgive me. Wipe the slate clean. And what do I do? I start to draw again. Okay. True righteousness, though, is not that. True righteousness is this. 
Here we are in life, and man, we're going about life, and man, we're building our life, and we're building our marriage, and we're building our families, and, and we're building our career, and all of a sudden, boom, we mess up. And we turn to God, and we say, Jesus, come, would you forgive me, would you? And he comes, and he wipes the slate clean. Then he looks at you and smiles, and he takes the marker out of your hand, and he begins to draw a picture for you. And the picture he begins to draw for you is far better than the one that you could draw for yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, that is true righteousness. Too many of us tell the slate gets wiped clean and we're like, okay, well, I guess I got to prove myself once again. I, I guess I got to win somebody's trust once again. I, I guess I got to do this all over again. No, no, no. True righteousness is this. is He takes away all of your sin, but it doesn't stop there. He takes the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus and he says, hey, this is yours now. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't have to live under what you were doing. That's why the Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you walk out of that prison, it is no longer you, the guy that was in prison. It's a brand new Andre. It's a brand new you. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And if anybody comes along and tries to remind you of what you did, it's just mere accusation. Oh, dude, you just, no, never been in jail. I was a different guy. Same name. Looked a lot like me. Although I think I'm a little better looking. That's righteousness. It's not just wiping the slate clean and saying, all right, try again. It's wiping the slate clean and saying, now I'm going to give you my life in exchange for your old life. I'm, I'm going to take away your lust and I'm going to give you purity. I'm going to take away your anger, and I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to take away your addictive behavior, and I'm going to give you freedom. People look at you. When my wife got saved, I'm telling you right now, she looks different when she did when I first met her. Totally different. Why? That's grace. That's glory. That's righteousness. That's righteousness. It is his righteousness that justifies us and saves us. If you, if you, just, just real quickly, if you're a note taker and you want this, that, that we have been saved. This is justification. We have been saved. We're released from sin. It's justification. We are still being saved. What is that? That's sanctification. That's saved from the power of sin. Not only am I saved from the sin that was in my life, but now sanctification, I'm being saved from the power of it. It no longer has dominion over me. And then there's glorification, which is what's going to happen when Jesus returns. I will be saved. I've been saved. I'm in the process, and I will be. I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty happy. That makes me pretty excited. The conclusion of the gospel is, is this. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for the Jew first, then for the Greek. What's it telling us? It's saying, look, it's not just for them, although it may have came to them first, but it's for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. The, the conclusion of the whole thing is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's happening in your marriage right now. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've believed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Man, his righteousness comes and sets you free. And it's for everybody and anyone who would call 
upon the name of the Lord. That's why it's called grace. We don't deserve it. Nothing we could ever do to deserve it. The conclusion is this is for anybody, and you can't do anything other than just believe, other than just believe and receive. It's like if someone has a gift for you. Oh, wow, there it is. I'll take that. When Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, he, he said, here's a gift for you. And by faith, you just got to, wow, thank you for that gift. In conclusion today, uh, I, I came across a story of a guy in India, married, had kids, is actually a pastor. And one day, him and his wife, family were walking, and they began to hear a baby cry. And the further they walked, the more intense the cry was. They heard the cry, and they heard the cry, and they kept walking, and then pretty soon they just weren't walking. They were like, let's go find out where the cry is coming from. And they followed this cry, and they kept going and going, and all of a sudden they followed the cry to a well. And there was the sound of a baby crying at the bottom of this well. One of them got lowered down, and when they got down the bottom, they found this, this baby, not, not very old, found this baby bawling. Someone had dropped their baby in there, didn't, didn't want it anymore. Went down, got the baby, brought the baby up. That baby, they adopted. Named her Grace. They didn't just rescue the baby out of the well. They gave the baby a new life and a new name. See, too many of us view righteousness as God rescued me from the well. Thanks, Jesus. I'll, I'll try to make it on my own again. But the complete picture of righteousness is, is he not only saved us from the bottom of the well, but he said, now I've taken you out of there. Now I'm going to adopt you into my own family, and I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to give you a new life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new for every culture, every nation. Anyone who chooses to call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is powerful. God, your word is uh, just, honestly, it's fantastic. God, it, it changes the way we see things. It changes the way we believe. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we talk. It, it changes everything. Huh. Apple's iPhone, for, or their slogan for their new iPhone, this changes everything. <laughs> and guess what people are doing with their iPhones right now? They're bringing them back. It's not working. You know what I love about the grace of God is that it changes everything. And you never have to return it. You never have to exchange it for something different. It's good the first time. It's good the second time. Here's what we need to understand. Is the way in is the way on. That day that you said yes to Jesus, that way in the first time you said it, is the way you continue on. Do not get into a performance mentality. Man, yeah, we, we do works, good works. Not to get in, we do good works because God's been so good that we want to share the love of Jesus with others. But don't get into a performance mentality. I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this, I need to do that. No, 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 what you need to do is just stay in grace. Keep believing that the same God who saved you is the same God that's going to perfect you. 